got into this conversation about the idea of that you can defeat dissent by just exhaustion, just wearing yeah. people out, and that. And we're just in a constant state of exhaustion at this point. A little bit, and also that you find yourself making sort of Darwinian survival level decisions yeah. of like, which do you want to be a kind person who's capable of doing their work and functioning in their relationships and or do you want to be like a human ulcer um which is feels like what would be required of us to be drawn in and pay attention it, to the level that would be would be required to yeah. take action on all this stuff like we all stay educated we all stay informed but the idea that it's almost like and my justin paroff the drummer said yeah it's almost like we're a phone company just wears you down like they leave you on hold for so long that you're just like you know what i'll just pay it like it's a bit of that same feeling of like that ultimately if you just want to live your life in any way you just are like go ahead you win it's darwinian on the other side too the thing that i fortunately had to write about right before i came here were these three videos that he retweeted Mm -hmm. earlier this week of like anti-muslim propaganda well which as we know that was not a at least two of the three were completely fake yeah like the probably all three of them kid yeah but it is darwinian on the other side from the standpoint of you know just basically especially here really since 9-11 living in a constant state of fear well it's funny too and on the you know all of this ties into this strange looking back at this past decade you know my previous album knives came out in 2006 and it's in our conversations with friends we're always trying to get a sense of like when was the change like like the <laughs> when time did things go horribly yeah, we, wrong or just like we think of it as like the time before mm-hmm. like what's the marker and it is it's the iphone it was 2007 it was the iphone and that's when you know it wasn't like safari was going to change our lives forever friendster the change as far as just like in, t- in terms of our, our, well and, everything yeah. just like music socialization the political realm like if we actually look at just the new world that we now inhabit and are getting our bearings in so it's been it's and when you mentioned 9-11 you know we were here for 9-11 thinking about that event imagining that in the current landscape of how we communicate where politicians tweet and the way that people communicate the things that would have been said the roundups that would have happened i mean it's it's an interesting and and horrifying exercise to imagine something really significant like that happening Mm. on our soil in the modern configuration of communication. Is there a way in which that technology or the technology of the past 10 years has impacted your music or the way you make or consume music? I guess. I mean, all of us, it's funny because like we only have so much time to talk and there's like, there's all the pragmatic um, and practical things we could discuss of like the changes we had to make as musicians and the choices we made. Monetization, distribution. Exactly. And being, going independent, embracing the new streams of, you know, reaching people, distribution and believing that there was going to be a change in the hierarchy that this, that the internet was actually going to empower artists Hmm. Which is now a bit like, oh, maybe not. Like Spotify gives you a backpack. Um, <laughs> but I, like, mean, I mean, it, it has. I mean, you were established by that point. You yeah, know, well, you were so playing with the these bands. Yeah, like I'd way rather talk about, if we're going to talk about technology, yeah. I'd way rather talk about the emotional and social and but I'm, I'm saying too, side. like if you yeah. were starting out today as a band, it would empower you early on. But then once you get past a certain point, then the benefits. It's hard to say. I mean, Fantasies was a, the album that definitely made the band. Yeah. Uh, it was our second album. And we did it on our own after huge amounts of legal work to extract ourselves from all sorts of things mm-hmm. and, and made it possible. And it was our most successful album. And we sold more and reached more people on our own, but that was a magical moment. And we were very fortunate to be in that sort of crux. 
So I don't, I think for new artists, it's incredibly difficult and the expectation yeah. that you just go and do it. We had like, by the time anyone had ever heard of metric, we'd already, Jimmy and I had already been going for seven years or something of invisible underground DIY, old school posters and flyers and however the hell everything happened in the time before. <laughs> is your doing 8 million projects all like around the same time? Is that an outgrowth of that at all? Or is that just... Of the DIY ethos? Or yeah. Or of the landscape of having to keep things as diverse as possible, having to move as quickly from project to project as possible? I don't know. I mean, it's so so many things in conversation. I feel like I would love to be able to present like a really, you know, like I've, yes, why certainly yeah. I've deliberately Here's perfectly... Here's the academic exactly. view of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, no, I really like to circle it back to the beginning. You tell of me you don't know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Nope. Um, but I, but I actually function as much as possible outside of those constructs yeah. of trying to serve, you know, the platforms or whatever. I mean, I, one thing I know that I am as an artist and I'm going to be that in you will, you can, it will kill me or whatever will happen will happen, but the world will change around me. You know, the world going from CD to nothing, to an, uh, you know, a fetishized mm -hmm. love of vinyl. None of this is going to change the, the nuts and bolts of how I spend my day, which is as a writer and at the piano. You're just driven, yes. right? I mean, I've yes. really kind of got that vibe yeah. from you that like sure. you. But it is weird because I don't, it's like in the piece at the end of Choir of the Mind, that mm -hmm. amazing uh, Sri Aurobindo yeah, yeah, yeah. thing that I found where it's like, she serves no aim but labors driven by a nameless will, her secret and impossible task. And I, when I read that, I was just, I was like, it, that's me. Yeah. I don't know. It's not, there isn't like something I'm concrete that I'm even trying to achieve. I just know that I can feel when I'm on the right track in terms of my output and my contribution and when I'm, I'm evolving as a human being, I'm engaged and then I feel alive and then that's how I know I'm doing, I'm on the right path. What percentage of your day are you spending actually making music? Well, you know from interviewing people yeah. that it's it's very um, cyclical, right? Sure, so, but I also know it differs quite a bit from artist to artist. I've talked to a lot of people who like, yeah. feel like they've, they've had to carve out sort of a nine to five for themselves to sit down and, right. and work on and, something and with, every day. Yeah, with for people who write, uh, you know, prose, yeah. or, that's a very common just get your ass in the seat yeah. approach. We have take a similar approach with our studio when we're not on tour. We just go to work. We show up at the studio mm -hmm. pretty much every day. We built the place and we go to work. But when you're on tour, it's a very different part of the process. Like this is a incredibly beautiful time for me because I've worked really, I feel in many ways, this is like the apex for me of my whole career so far hmm. to be able to, to revisit a solo album from 10 years ago that, you know, this is not, we're not talking gangbusters big super selling stuff but there's in the world there's a really a significant number of people who heard that music connected with that music have stayed with me or have discovered it over the past decade and are now listening to choir of the mind and to get to do it's 12 shows like i'm just doing 12 shows and every time i walk into one of these rooms i know that every person there knows why they're there i know why i'm there it's so it's like a and it's a completely non-viable thing this is ending this is it why are you there? Because I need to make this music and yeah. they, and whoever's there needs, needs to hear it. And it's a completely like clean transaction and there's no, we're done. The end of the year we're done. I might do some dates in Europe cause we didn't go at all, but it's not like transaction finite. Transaction you know? is a really weird way of describing it, right? I, I mean, love it that sounds word. a little too. Oh, I love that word. It's, it's, Think about that word. I'm picturing somebody, you know, swiping a credit card. Well, this is what something I realized in my many stints of living in New York is like the idea that 
so many of our interactions are transactions. And if you actually think yeah. about your day, how much of it is, uh, I mean, it sounds like I'm being dark, but it's well, actually it takes the romance out of it a little bit, doesn't it? Well, I'm not taking the romance out of the musical yeah. experience at all. I'm just using that word freely because I think it's an interesting word in terms of like going and playing one of these again, select shows, mm-hmm. and very intimate show. Yeah. What does the word transaction mean in that? Well, context? because think about what does somebody want when they buy a ticket? What does somebody expect from you? What are they buying? Right? And this is the beauty of, and I do, I feel this with metric as well in, you know, in a larger sense that the people who connect with that, with us as a band, it's a, it's a clean and pure connection between us, but we play big festivals. You're going to Coachella. You're not going to the metric show. You're going, you know, there's all kinds of instances where something's about something else. But this is, I feel that every person who's coming to these shows, I, I feel that I can actually give people what they want and I'm playing them the songs from knives that they want to hear. And I'm playing, you know, it's just like a, a satisfying experience for everyone. But I do encourage everyone to think about the word transaction because, <laughs> you know, the dividend, yeah. you know, there's a great quote, product is the excrement of creativity. That's an amazing thought that, hmm. you know, what we attribute value to is actually not the thing that is the product is the excrement. The thing that is a value is the experience. experience yeah for sure what does revisiting mean like revisiting those songs in terms of like going back and playing them live mm-hmm. and then and and revisiting as as in this kind of configuration as a group as well with this new record well this is a different the soft skeleton band is a changing thing um on the first round back in 2006 it was um scott minor the drummer from sparkle horse different members be on you but there must be some kind of through line or is the through line just you as it's a solo me. artist it's okay. my solo project so there's no through line aesthetically thematically aesthetically and thematically well not thematically because it depends what record i'm writing but aesthetically there's definitely a mood yeah. to what the soft skeleton project is so far this is only the second step so who knows you know <laughs> but i but it's definitely you know we're below 80 BPM always yeah. by a large margin and it's dirgy and it's a feeling of taking your time and stepping to the side and taking a breath. Is that to do with personal reflection uh, as far as just sort of slowing down and taking a breath? Sure. Yeah. Well, and it's just like, you know, you're referring to your other gig is, yeah. you know, we've all got different things sure. that we do. Right. So yeah, yeah. for me, this is very much a gift. Like, I love my work with metric. It's all encompassing and very demanding. And we run the company and we do the whole, you know, the touring is on this massive scale and there's all this production and the soft skeleton is a piano, a couple drums and amp bass. It's very, it's a different medium. It's a different sonic palette. And, you know, this album has its themes, knives had its themes. And I guess, I don't know if I'm going to wait another decade, the hell am I going to be talking about in another decade? Well, hopefully it will still be around. Seriously, man. It's interesting when you talk about it, you discuss it as a cycle. And and I'm wondering if that's something that really came to you in hindsight or whether it was something that occurred to you as you were going into it or while you were working on it. Yeah, it's definitely, I think the thing with, um, in our lives, like when you find yourself having the awareness of your life being cyclical, it's only when you, when you come full circle, right? And then you're standing in the same spot going like, whoa, weird. This is the same, not the same, you know? Is that a good feeling or a bad one? Well, in fact, previously, I feel like I've always, um, been so afraid of that. Like I was so committed to the idea that your life is an evolution and you're you're always changing. You haven't made progress. Exactly. That was always my fear. And then a, a huge part thematically and otherwise, 
on this record is like for the first time feeling differently about that like hmm. my field of memory that song is very literally exploring that of instead of being like why am I still in this spot? Realizing like you're not remotely in this spot. You can you can't any sooner re-inhabit this spot in five minutes yeah. the way that you that you did five minutes ago than you can ten years ago. It's actually never available to you again. And and from another perspective, incredible to even have those places on earth that you can look at and they have that kind of sediment of like, I was fifteen and I was trying to do this and I, I remember sitting on that bench and having You're this conversation. You're literally geographically I am. of being in the same spot. I am. I am. How did that manifest itself? It was just going going home. I okay. lived in New York for another – I lived here for another eight years and we left. Our building yeah. got bought. Our whole block got bought. We're living in Crosby. Yeah. Whole block got bought. Really close to here. And Yeah. yeah. And um, it was really brutal. And then it was just like, I think I'm getting kicked out of New York again. We had a loft in Brooklyn and – before Williamsburg was Williamsburg in the way that it's Williamsburg now in 2000 or sorry, 1997, you know, the left TV on the radio and yeah, yeah, and stars yeah. all live there like that, that era, um, being really broke in New York. And then I got to do another round where I lived on Crosby and was kind of a successful person. And it's got to feel good it, coming it did back until they, until yeah. they bought the block and I had yeah. to leave. So I found myself going back to Toronto in a way that, I just saw it as a, as an incredible, as an incredible gift to be able to access the past. And it actually showed me how much I had progressed as a human being and how much life had changed. I realized without the scientific control group of ever looking at something twice, you can never really go forward because you're never, you're never seeing the measurement, right? If you never go back to something, sure. right? Sure, you have I mean, to. Are you, did you grow up here? Like, do no, no, you no, I'm re- from California. Okay, yeah. so you're not revisiting. No. So you can live in a sort of cerebral place of yeah. like, this is you advancing your life. But did it feel like a blessing immediately? I mean, it couldn't have, right? You were, you were being no, pushed out of the city. Yeah, no, it's the worst. There's this weird thing that exists in the city. I mean, it's in the song New York, New York, right? About, you yeah. know, you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. And this sense that it's a failure if you haven't been able to make it yeah, here. Yeah, and in this case, it felt also like... um an interesting point too, because in the past I would have internalized, like I would have felt as though it was like I wasn't rich enough or successful enough. But in this case, it was like, no, you're paying six grand a month. You're rich enough. Yeah. Like it's, that's, I'm okay. Like our building was an NYU professor, um, the star of Orange is the New Black, uh, John Spencer Blues Explosion and, this DJ who is, I'm going to try to remember his name before the end of our conversation, who's doing fantastic. Like yeah. it was the, it's the people who should be able to live in New York. And it's like artists, but, but not like, not like starving ones, like sure. professors and arena playing, yeah. you know, but so I actually, people. yes. Yeah. And I actually felt that it was, I just felt a sadness on a level that was like, you know, so I got to be a banker now. Like what? Because this should be enough. And if I can't live here with my work and success and my ability to pay, what the hell? And then it's like, and then this sort of, you're not even getting evicted. If, you know, I love that you're asking me this because I wouldn't mind if it was gentrification in a way. I wouldn't mind if it was like, sorry, babe, like the, there's other artists that did better and they want to live here and they're going to make it better for bigger, better artists. Because if it would be that you're getting that you didn't make it and you're, but so you got to go because you're not good enough. I would take that. I really yeah. would, but yeah. it isn't that it's yeah. because it's because like somebody bought the whole block and a frozen yogurt stand is going to have to go in there. Cartoon like, villain from an eighties movie. Yeah. It, it was actually defeating to all of my 
my love affair with the city and my ethos of like, I'll take it. I'll take it that I'm not good enough and I can get better. And if I just get better, but there's the sense that like, you'll never get good better enough sure. because you need to be, it needs to be like $20 million. Even. Cause there's five people who make music who are able to exactly. live in a place like exactly. that. But you didn't feel like a failure cause it, it was Fuck external no. forces. No. And for once, and I maybe think that was like a really positive distinction for once. I was yeah. like, this is this, I have to see this for what it is. This is actually just sad. I love this city and everyone will work it out. We'll all just live further and further out. I mean, our joke is like, I can't, I can't live in Brooklyn because at that point I might as well just go to Toronto. I mean, yeah. it's like the L train should go to Toronto. Sure. Toronto's an incredible city. I know there's, there's so that like Hasidic bus that goes back yeah, and forth. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Eagle ride. Um, it's a thing. But so, yeah. It, so, for so, once to make that distinction when external forces are. Yeah. To see it as such. Yeah. At what point are you able to really step outside of that and appreciate that and to really kind of build a record around that? Uh, I don't know that I ever stepped outside of it. You had a certain amount of distance that you were able to look at what had transpired. Yeah, sort of. I guess in a sense you were in the middle of it, but you do yeah. need, I mean, don't you need a little distance between you and an event or something else in order to really uh, uh, kind of paint it in a good way? Logic would, would suggest as much, but in fact, where you're meeting me now in yeah. this conversation is, is actually where the perspective comes in, which is hmm. kind of when you're asking earlier about the, like how much of the day is spent in certain yeah. ways. And I was saying it's cyclical or you know, it depends what part of the process you're in. For me, it's like when I'm most immersed in the feeling, the pure feeling, um, with no control and no power, um, and genuine fear of where is my life going? What does this mean? What are the permutations of this? What's going on? That's where the work happens. That's where I'm just, I just go to work through that time. And then moments like this, you know, a year of planning, very specific choices on these venues, very selected moment, this conversation, which is very much a selected moment. Um, this is when I get to have some perspective and kind of look at it with you and be like, I don't know. Yeah. What did we make? What was that? What, what did it mean? But when I'm making it, I have no fucking idea. It's scary to be in constant motion and it's scary to, to, to feel like is it or is it scary to be like completely well, maybe they both are but you know I, like I, I had this I'm, conversation with yeah. my, my my mother a few years ago yeah. about like I don't consider myself a particularly happy person really you no. seem you seem like capable of happiness because you're not faking it but I don't see that necessarily as a negative because the people who are completely happy with their life and where they are aren't the ones who are striving to change things right and striving to move forward necessarily well that's an interesting thought I mean. I, I mean, to your point of view, like you said, you know, constant, constant motion is scary. And I do think that for me, you know, stasis is more frightening. Yeah. And that's more what I, what I tried to do and accepted and did within the making of this record as I stayed in Toronto. Everyone was like, what are you, why are you still here? You're supposed to leave. But staying and in a that city. Was, that it, was more challenging yeah. for me than, than leaving, than moving. Is staying in a city stasis though? I mean, for me it is. It is. I mean, you had, I mean, and to be fair, like it's not, it's not me being like special. Sure. It's just, I think about this all the time of like the life of touring. It's this, it's makes no sense, right? Like the bus, you've, have you been on a tour bus yeah, before? Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's just like, the, it's shelves. Like you're sleeping yeah. on a shelf. It's it a, sounds miserable. It's a bouncing shelf. It should be. And every time I go back into it, I'm like, this should be, this is absurd. Why? And I, I, to your point about, I laughed when you said like constant change is scary yeah. or constant movement is scary. It's cause just like two nights on our way to, New York. We played in Philly. The bus is leaving when it's leaving. And I was already in my little bunk waiting for the engine to start. And the moment the engine started and we started moving, I just felt this like complete peace 
and snuggle in and fall instantly asleep. That movement, that motion, for whatever reason, is I love, I love that I can, it's so absurd to lie on a shelf and like bounce down the highway. It's, it's comical. It's, it should You take that, it's, it's interesting it. the way, like, I think it's a really interesting perspective and, and I haven't heard this from too many people, yeah. but when I talk to you about life being cyclical or when I talk to you about constantly moving forward, you describe them both in really literal terms. Because it is literal for me. It's, it's literally cyclical and yeah. it's literally moving from well driving in this case from philly to new york but constantly moving <laughs> in the non-literal sense is there's a there's an aspect of uncertainty to it and i think that that does scare people of feeling you know not necessarily knowing what your next project is going to be or not but i do know i know okay. what, i mean jimmy and i own the company yeah we bought a buddhist temple we own our studio you the, bought a buddhist temple we did the we the band the relationship in the band is incredibly strong josh and jules um josh had his own beautiful side project jules is a father his wife is this incredible lawyer doing water rights work they're like these people are my family where metric is going to yeah we will die on stage and that's i don't feel uncertainty of the one thing i know i'm going to do is work and yeah. whether anybody's there or not has never been, we never thought anybody would ever show up and then they did and then they won't and then they will and then they won't. So uncertainty for me is more like, can I, can I function and actually be, do justice to the, the human being that I am and, and offer something to society or am I going to get completely crushed by like self-doubt, depression and fear? You buy a Buddhist temple and you're kind of planting a flag, right? You're, that's a way of saying, like, I'm going to be here for a while. You don't just willy-nilly buy a Buddhist temple. No, you temple. do, though. Weirdly, do you? you do kind yeah. of, yeah. Well, I guess, I guess you know, belongings, it's all <laughs> ethereal and, yeah. yeah. Of all things, it is kind of ironic, Yeah, don't right? get attached. If you're not going to, yeah. yeah, of all things, don't get attached to a Buddhist temple, yeah. How did that? It could, it's, it could be a lot of stories. Yeah. There's a lot of stories. I assume you meditate? Poorly. Yeah? Yeah. No, you and it's and it's temple and you meditate poorly. Yeah, you're really fixated on the Buddhist temple thing. It's like it's such a hilarious and long story I, that well, I would. Wouldn't you be if you met a stranger I, who was in a rock band and she told you that she owns a Buddhist temple? Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't hone in on that. It's um, it's a it's a building that we will. We're very excited because now it's a dance theater. It mm. can it can serve a okay. lot of things. We didn't know. We were looking at it. I see. And then asked what was in the upstairs. It was a strange construct. And it was like, oh, that's where the 10,000 pound gold Buddha was airlifted. <laughs> so this space is incredibly sacred and beautiful. And uh, we was, did all the photographs and everything yeah. for, for Choir of the Mind happened there. But we put together a group of people in the arts. And um, it's in a neighborhood that we all came up in. So our dream is to have it turn into a cultural center it's going to take us many years to do this. So currently, um, and the Buddhists, by the way, they're fine. We were, yeah. for, our first question was like, this isn't like evicting the Buddhist temple. They owned the building and they moved to another spot. So, and then the, uh, it's right now it's a dance company. And then the dream is that in, it'll take us about five years probably, but to make it like a multifaceted, like music venue, cultural center. Um. I was asking you about it because I think that it's something, I mean, you meditate poorly, you try to meditate, but it does sound like, but beyond that though, it sounds like you're invested in actually doing a very good job of being mindful and being in the moment in spite of your inability to meditate. <laughs> to med yeah. Yeah, I guess. Right. I mean, it's just all like when you think like to back to the, like she serves no aim, but labor is driven by a nameless will. It's just like the goal is just to not be a, 
to be an unconscious jerk. Like it feels like that's, you know, especially as we are all anyone in North America, whatever, you know, I grew up with, we did not have money. There's nothing, but my parents were teachers. We had jobs, we had stuff, you know, like we're, we're already in such a privileged, you know, place. And that oddly our battle is to like peel away the layers to actually reveal some kind of soul or some sort of something that we can contribute, you know, like to the day, like what's your day? What's the point of you Mm. really? Like, I know we're all like, we feel like we're patted on the back for being good consumers. So it's like the more money you make, the more you can buy, the more everyone loves you because you buy their shit. And I get it. And that makes sense to a level, but what else? And I guess you're right. It's true. Like what we're talking about this stuff, it's like, I just, I, I feel excited by the idea that I could not be just an ignorant fool my whole life. To me, this idea of serving no aim is not being fixated at, at what's down the road, but really being invested and appreciative of what's in the moment. Yeah, including this conversation. Yeah. You know, this is this is this is now what yeah. we did today, and yeah. it's incredibly cool. Really interesting. I feel like I learned shit. There you go. Those Emily Haynes recorded that one at a brief little meeting space at a hotel in Manhattan. She was in town for a few days for her solo project, Emily Haynes and the Soft Skeleton. Released her first album in, geez, 11 years under that solo project that came out late last year. It's called Choir of the Mind, and I highly recommend it. Really enjoyed that conversation with her. I feel like we were kind of speeding through at the end, sort of trying to one-up each other with the rate with which we could get words out. We had a a fairly limited number of minutes, and I feel like we crammed a lot of conversation into there. So thanks so much to her for taking the time to do that. Thanks to Joe and Samantha for helping set that up. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. Easiest is to just rate us over on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. Follow us over on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. Come. That's the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L related information. If you've got any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. And uh, I think that's about all I got for this week. So stick around because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of R-I-Y-L.